Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to take a break from our usual format of discussing Beef Watch newsletter articles. Today's Beef Watch Podcast is going to focus around the topic of mineral supplementation during gestation, and we're talking about some work that's been done at North Dakota State University. To discuss today's topic, I'm joined today by Jen Hurlbert, who's a graduate student at North Dakota State University. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Well, Jen, before we dive into the topic today and discuss the research that you've done, uh, share with us a little more about yourself, your background, and how you ended up where you are today. Absolutely. Well, I'm really happy to be here, and thank you for having me on the show again. My name is Jen Robert, as he said. I grew up on a farm and ranch in northeastern South Dakota. My family has a cow-calf operation as well as some sheep and then a row crop operation as well. I did my undergrad at South Dakota State, graduated from there in December of 2020, uh, and then moved up to Fargo, uh, hop the fence, go bison, and started my master's in January of 2021. Since then, I've defended my master's and wrapped up uh, and am just starting my PhD program now with Dr. Carl Dahlen in the area of reproductive physiology. But really, my program is pretty broad in the sense of doing a lot of repro work, but also doing a number of nutrition studies that kind of encompass nutrition and repro all together. And so, yeah, that's a study that we'll talk about today is focusing on trace mineral supplementation in beef cattle during pregnancy. And this is uh, this is a lot of what my master's has been a part of. And so, yeah, we'll get talking about some of that data and the basis for that work here shortly. Well, Jen, I came across your research in the 2022 North Dakota Livestock Research Report. Uh, I really thought it was very interesting. A lot of good data there. So just tell us about the background for this research project. What prompted it? What was the things that drove just the project? Sure. So, you know, as we know, there's there's a lot of essential minerals that animals and, and really a lot of life forms require uh, for regular life functions and development. Uh, there's six minerals, though, that we're especially interested in when it comes to beef cattle production uh, and especially for grazing cattle. And that includes selenium, copper, zinc, manganese, iodine, and cobalt. So these are the ones that we'll focus really for the discussion today. There's also major minerals like calcium, phosphorus, et cetera, but we're going to focus on those trace minerals for the project at hand here. And so minerals have lots of involvement in beef cattle production. In the grand scheme of things, uh, minerals are important for skeletal structure, for in skeletal integrity, immune function, reproductive success, and, and overall health, really. But unfortunately, in cow-calf production systems, with grazing cattle or those receiving forage-based diets specifically, forages alone often aren't providing the recommended amount of minerals that these cattle need for maintenance and production demands, you know, whether that's growing cattle or pregnant cattle. Mineral concentrations in those forages can depend on a lot of things and can be quite variable geographically. And so mineral concentrations can depend on forage species, plant maturity, soil characteristics. Maybe you've got acidic or alkaline soil, climatic conditions, how much precipitation, how much rain you're getting. And even some fertilization practices as well can determine how much mineral you might actually be getting out of those forages. Uh, you know, whether that's a pasture-based system uh, or harvested forages that you might be using over the winter to feed cows. And so in the case of low mineral levels in soil uh, or forages or times when deficiencies really get to be a concern, supplementing minerals in a, the form of a commercial supplement might be an option for producers to, one, combat those deficiencies and keep up or maintain production and overall herd performance. 
And, you know, there's there's a number of places in the country that know of these deficiencies. And, and, and for some folks, not offering a supplement really isn't an option because, you know, maybe those are severe deficiencies in, in uh, selenium or copper or zinc and so on. But in the northern Great Plains, where we're at up here in North Dakota and even in a lot of parts of the Dakotas, some forages might actually be, at, be adequate in minerals uh, while others are deficient. In the area where a lot of our grazing work is conducted in the Streeter, North Dakota area, which is in the eastern side of the state, historically pastures there have been deficient in copper and zinc, but some of the more major minerals like calcium, phosphorus, and potassium have been adequate. So as you can see, it's pretty variable and expectedly forage mineral analysis in Stutzman County, where Streeter is, uh, in eastern North Dakota is probably not the same forage analysis, one that you're going to get in the same part of the county, different parts of the state or, or even different parts of the region. And so with that, you know, with the variability in forage analysis that you might get in terms of trace minerals, there's also variability when it comes to management decisions and feeding strategies in terms of micronutrient supplementation, you know, or with the study or with the focus of this study, the lack thereof. And, you know, you and I aren't strangers to the beef industry, and we understand that there's producers out there who will provide the best mineral supplement to their cows 365 days a year. Uh, and then there's folks that just choose not to do it and just might not work for their operation. But there's a lot of variation in between. You know, maybe some people are are supplementing during certain times of production. Maybe that's during that rebreeding or that summer grazing phase. Maybe that's just over the winter. There's also lots of ways that people are doing it in terms of methods of supplementation. Maybe that's an oral supplement, an injectable supplement. That's for a conversation for a different day. But essentially, there's, there's lots of things that go into this decision to uh, provide a mineral supplement. And we can't ignore all the reasons that, uh, you know, people may or may not be doing it. Whether that's cost, maybe that's convenience, maybe that's actually the necessity of do we need to provide a mineral supplement or not uh, based on the, the trace mineral concentrations in our forages that we're feeding our cows. So go ahead and lay the groundwork kind of for of what you did with the study. I mean, right. how did you set this up? What did that look like? Right. Yeah. So pretty much what we did with this study is is we wanted to mimic a cow-calf production scenario uh, where a producer is going to offer a fairly high quality supplement uh, regularly uh, compared with a production system in which no supplement would be offered. And really, we kind of wanted to design this study with the fetal programming aspect in mind. Uh, and for those not familiar with fetal programming, uh, I'll make this explanation brief, but it's essentially this concept that Stressors that happen to mom during pregnancy, whether those are nutritional stressors, environmental stressors, uh, or physiological stressors, uh, that likely has an impact on the calf uh, that that cow is gestating, either in the short term or long term aspect. And so we kind of wanted to look at trace minerals as a way that we can positively program, if you will, this calf crop on the ground through that maternal nutrition before and during pregnancy ultimately with our goal of improving per production parameters in the offspring. And so our group has done some, some previous work, which I'll just touch on really briefly, uh, and kind of some more of the basis of why we did the study that we did. Our group has 
fed beef heifers with a mineral supplement or without a mineral supplement during that first trimester or during that first 12 weeks of pregnancy and found some differences in terms of fetal development there, fetal growth, uh, some differences in trace mineral accumulations in the fetus and fetal fluids. Also found some changes in fetal intestinal microbiome, which is pretty cool stuff. So that bacteria, that gut bacteria, that gut environment was was enhanced when fetuses were receiving that trace mineral supplement essentially in utero. Uh, we also found some differences in terms of gene expression. So really how those how those fetuses are set up from a genomic standpoint. So certainly from, from that point of view, there's some changes happening. There's some implications in terms of programming so that's due in part to some maybe nutrients delivered to that fetus that includes those trace minerals. And so really where we're going with this study that I'll talk about here in just a second is is what do these early gestational changes actually mean for that calf that hits the ground? And what does that mean for that calf that may be a a part of the herd someday? And so now we'll get into the the study that you read in the livestock report, and it's available if anybody wants to check that out. That's the North Dakota livestock report. So what we did is we had 31 beef heifers, and we decided, you know what? We see something going on in early gestation. Let's look at this from an entire gestational period. Because as we know, there's tons of critical development, critical points of development that are happening from conception to birth. And so we decided let's provide beef heifers with a supplemental trace mineral source or not provide them with supplemental trace minerals and let's see what happens. And again, so this was provided from breeding to calving. And so what we did a little more on the the design and the methods here is that we bred these 31 heifers using female sex semen from a single sire. The reason we did that is that any effects on the offspring, we wanted to limit effects of of sex. So we didn't want to compare males to females. And we also wanted to see what would happen if we kept these females in the herd and reared them as replacement heifers so we could perform some subsequent evaluations on that female offspring. And so we gave both groups of cattle, our treatment and our control, both received a basal TMR diet. What's interesting on that diet is just like we saw on pasture, that diet was deficient in copper and zinc on our harvested feed stuff. So that that diet included some corn silage, some prairie hay, some dried distiller grains, and uh, a premix. Well, all the cattle received that basal diet. Uh, our treatment heifers just received a commercial mineral supplement on top of that basal diet. And so we fed these heifers up here in Fargo at the Beef Cattle Research Complex. Uh, and they ate out, out of these Incentec feed systems. So we were able to observe behavior and we were able to see how much every single heifer was eating every day. Uh, we also took uh, liver biopsies on these pregnant females throughout pregnancy. The reason we take liver biopsies is because the liver is a storage site for a lot of these trace minerals that we're interested in. So we took liver biopsies throughout pregnancy to see where their mineral status or if their mineral status was changing as that pregnancy progressed. And then at birth, uh, with that with that F0 heifer, the one that received the treatment, we took liver biopsies uh, on the dam and then her calf or the F1 offspring, if you will, at birth to evaluate mineral status at that point. Also collected some colostrum, looked at some placenta as well. A really interesting thing to note about this study and why we think this study is unique is that we managed all of our animals the same after calving. Uh, so all cow-calf pairs were managed together at calving everybody received a mineral from birth and beyond. And so why we did that was to isolate the effects of the gestational mineral supplementation. So the idea was that if we saw any postnatal effects on those offspring, we could attribute it or we'd feel very confident attributing that 
to the gestational environment of that calf that either included additional trace minerals or didn't. So yeah, these calves were born in in March of 2021, weaned in October of 2021, and then managed as a group of replacement heifers in Fargo. All heifers from birth and beyond received a mineral supplement in their diet. And we were able to track these heifers essentially from birth in March of 2021 to her own breeding in June of 2022. So a really long period here, uh, a really nice evaluation of how these cattle changed in that postnatal period. Jen, let's just take a step back. Just, I'm curious. I want to just get a better sense. So we had this group of heifers. What was the status of those heifers when they entered the program? How are they selected? Where do they come from? I guess, give us a little background on that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So these these heifers were all sourced from the Central Grasslands Research Extension Center in Streeter, North Dakota. And so all from a common herd here. And what we did kind of to start that study, and, I, and I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot to mention that, is these heifers came to Fargo and we, they were actually exposed to a depletion period, if you will. And so we didn't want, you know, mineral status starting off at, at different points when they came in. So heifers were brought to Fargo, all put on a similar diet. Uh, for 60 days before we did anything with them. Uh, Again, these are Angus-based heifers as well, uh, about 14 to 15 months of age when they came to us. So yeah, that's that's the group, if that answers your question a little bit, that's kind of the the animals that we're dealing with here. Yeah, and then just give us a little, I just want to make sure for myself and our listeners, you mentioned we've got two groups of heifers here. They're basically on the same ration. Yep. One group of heifers is getting a base mineral program and then the other one is getting a base plus something or how did how was that uh, set up yeah so the so we had 31 heifers 14 of them were just getting a basal diet so they were getting that forage based diet with a little bit of dry distillers grain uh, and some premix 17 of those heifers received that basal diet plus the addition of a mineral supplement. And so that mineral supplement was incorporated into the total mix ration at a rate of four ounces per head per day. So the control group or the the cattle receiving just the basal diet only had the minerals that would have been included in those forages. So no commercial supplement was was added to that diet. And when you look at that diet, was it fairly balanced then for the macro minerals, calcium, phosphorus, potassium, or what did that look like? Yeah, that diet was fairly balanced in terms of the macro minerals for the calcium, phosphorus, potassium, and so on. Uh, But yeah, the trace minerals uh, were defi- the copper and zinc were deficient in that basal ration for all heifers that were receiving that diet. During the time those heifers were on that diet, basically from that 14-month period till calving, mm-hmm. did you measure any differences or see any differences in terms of those heifers' performance on the basal diet versus the, the basal diet plus the minerals? Right. So they were actually managed pretty similarly and pretty strategically in that sense. Essentially, we didn't want any performance differences or any any size differences in that calf to show up because we fed the dams differently. So what we did is we shot for about a pound of gain per day for heifers of, of both treatments. And so they were only moved up to ad libitum feeding as they approached calving, so their so their energy was high enough. And so going into calving, they were uh, in really good condition. But strategically or intentionally, uh, these heifers were, were managed very, very similarly and kept to pretty much the same weight between treatments as pregnancy progressed. And so there was no difference uh, in cow body weight at the time of calving, uh, which was intentional. That was our design. 
I guess as you also looked at breeding, and I know we're looking at limited numbers here, so it's not maybe mm-hmm. a fair comparison, but was there any differences in pregnancy, uh, time of pregnancy, things like that? Not necessarily that we examined in in this study. Essentially, how, how this was set up is that this started as a group of 72 heifers. Uh, and so these 31 were the first heifers or heifers in the first cycle that became pregnant with female calves. And so there were subsequent studies done with the rest of those animals. So let's see, 14 of those, these heifers were, the open heifers were bred again. 14 of those heifers in the second cycle who had female fetuses were brought on to another study and so on. But in terms of reproductive performance for these F0 heifers, that wasn't really part uh, of our design to evaluate uh, pregnancy success in that aspect. We did, however, look at the offspring later on down the road in terms of puberty attainment, because some folks have seen, and and, and you'll see that if you do a a quick literature search or a a quick research online, you'll see that there's a lot of variable results here in in a lot of these trace mineral studies. And some folks have seen that, you know, heifers that receive that mineral supplement across the placenta or in utero, maybe achieve puberty faster. We didn't observe that in this study. We we looked at these heifers from post-weaning to breeding. We did some blood collection and evaluated progesterone in the blood and didn't see any differences in terms of puberty attainment for these heifers. Also in in another study that we did out in Streeter, just kind of to talk about this reproductive success piece, because I think this is an important one to talk about because there's so much that goes into having an open cow or a bred cow. And so we did a study out in Streeter where cows were either given mineral access during that summer grazing season or not. And that was over a two-year period involving 727 cows, and no differences were observed in reproductive success in that study either. And so, again, it's really variable. There's a lot of factors that go into successful pregnancies or unsuccessful pregnancies uh, in the cow herd. But in this specific study, no, we didn't notice or we didn't observe any differences in in puberty attainment of the offspring or reproductive success uh, of the dam. So let's go back to the time of calving. Again, as you mentioned, you're taking data, looking at uh, what's happening with the micro minerals levels in terms of things like placenta, colostrum. Uh, Did you take any liver biopsies of the calves at birth or what did that look like? Yes, we took liver biopsies of the calves at birth as well. And so kind of what that looked like, and and we'll jump into a little bit of what we found out with that study. Uh, So yeah, again, liver biopsies were collected from the dam at the end of each trimester at breeding, and then at the end of each trimester of pregnancy and at calving, uh, and then from that calf at birth as well. And we made sure that all of these were pre-suckling samples. So as soon as that calf was born, we brought it in the barn, took some liver biopsies, took some blood, took some measurements and those kinds of things. And so what we found out is some some kind of neat stuff with the with the mineral status of the dam throughout pregnancy. And so we'll start with selenium and copper because these are the the two minerals that really pop up a lot for us. And so we found out that selenium was greater when heifers received supplemental minerals throughout all of pregnancy compared with the control heifers at post-breeding time points. So essentially from day 84 of pregnancy and on, supplemented heifers had greater concentrations of selenium compared to non-supplemented heifers. What was really interesting is that at that day 84 to calving time point, supplemented heifers, their their selenium store is actually decreased as pregnancy progressed. 
We also saw that kind of behavior happen in copper as well. So same thing with copper. Copper was greater in the liver in supplemented heifers compared with the control heifers at each post-breeding time point. So from day 84 of pregnancy to calving, copper was greater in those supplemented dams. What was interesting about copper too is that the concentrations in the liver for copper for both supplemented and control heifers actually decreased from the end of the first trimester through calving. And actually we get to that point where those control heifers uh, were deficient in copper at the time of calving. So what this tells us is that that fetus is using maternal stores of trace minerals. Those trace minerals are getting shunted to that calf. Uh, across that placental barrier for normal developmental functions of the calf and then for also for the uh, establishment of the postnatal mineral reserve in that calf as well. And something that I'll point out and, and something that's interesting and kind of a basis for some future research here, you know, what's interesting is that we see these mineral, the mineral status change throughout pregnancy for this, this pregnant heifer. But the NRC recommendations for trace minerals don't change with stage in production or stage in pregnancy. So first trimester to third trimester pregnancy, the mineral recommendations are the same. So that kind of brings some questions up. And that really, that question arises of, do we really know what fetal requirements are? Are we feeding pregnant cattle adequately in terms of micronutrients? Maybe we are, maybe we aren't. Potentially, there's some questions we hope to answer, though, uh, with the next step of this project, which I'll go into in a little bit. But in that calf, in the liver of the calf at birth, we also found greater concentrations of selenium, copper, zinc, and cobalt when calves received that trace mineral supplement in utero compared to those that were born to the control dams. So also in the in the placenta, we saw some differences. Selenium was greater in placentas from mineral supplemented dams compared to non-supplemented dams. And then also some differences in colostrum as well, which is pretty interesting. So heifers receiving mineral produced more colostrum at calving compared with those control heifers. And also we estimated mineral content. So pretty much took a sample of the colostrum, analyzed it for mineral concentrations, and then factored in the total volume that was milked out of that heifer to estimate the total mineral concentrations in that udder and found greater concentrations of selenium, copper, zinc, manganese, and cobalt in those heifers that received mineral during pregnancy compared to those that didn't. When you looked at that colostrum, were you also looking at antibody levels in that as well? Or what? Yeah. Any analysis there? What'd you find? That's a great point. Yeah. We actually, yeah. So we pulled colostrum from these dams at calving and also took blood on the calves pre-suckling. So took blood on the calf pre-suckling, went back and took blood on the calf 24 hours after it suckled as well. And so that was some analysis that I did here this last summer. We analyzed the immunoglobulin content in the colostrum and then also in the blood of the calf to look at the passive transfer of the calf in terms of those antibodies, including IgG, IgM, and IgA. Interestingly, though, and this is kind of the same thing, there's a lot of variable results out there in terms of, you know, mineral contributing to greater immunoglobulin content in the colostrum, better, better immunity in the calf. We didn't see a lick of difference, though. IgG, IgM, and IgA uh, were similar in colostrum, similar in blood of the calf, whether heifers received mineral or they didn't. So one of the things I really found interesting in looking at this data, the thing that jumped out to me that got my attention is, again, after calving, both groups are receiving the same mineral supplementation. Yep. But then just looking at the performance difference in the heifer calves that received supplement, I would say, in utero from their dams. Yep. Uh, there was a difference in performance there that was quite noticeable. 
when we looked at those calves out to weaning. Yeah, absolutely. And what's what's really, really cool about this data uh, is that, yeah, those those were all postnatal effects. And so we didn't see anything different in terms of calf size at birth. So calf body weight, body measurements of those calves, gestation length, nothing was different between these calves at birth. Besides mineral status, there was nothing going on, nothing different with these calves at birth. Uh, however, we followed these calves out to weaning, things started showing up. Calves born to supplemented dams were 36 pounds heavier than those born to non-supplemented dams. Again, as you said, all calves at this point are receiving a common diet with the mineral supplement. So we feel confident in assuming that's an effect of that gestational mineral environment. And then when these calves became yearlings, still the calves born to supplemented dams were 42 pounds heavier than those non-supplemented cohorts. And even at breeding in June of 2022, or these, these heifers are about a year and a half of age, they're still 37 pounds heavier. There's a 37 pound difference with calves at breeding. So the calves from mineral supplemented dams were still heavier than those non-supplemented cohorts. So it's interesting. We didn't see any differences in calf size at birth, but something really happened in these groups of calves really diverged in terms of body weight at weaning and that continued throughout breeding. And so we have yet to determine what exactly is different in these animals that's causing these performance differences and productivity differences later on down the road. Another interesting thing to point out, though, is that average daily gain and gain to feed ratios were not different from weaning and beyond. You know, so it makes us think what's been programmed in these heifers to outperform their non-supplemented cohorts. What's going on maybe from a, a tissue level or from a genomic level that's that's indicating how these animals are going to perform later on in life. There's also some some a little a little bit of work here and I won't get too deep into this, but there's also some differences in in terms of some blood metabolites that we found. And a couple of these, uh, including insulin like growth factor, glucose, and blood urea nitrogen that were different in these groups of cattle from uh, birth to breeding that might be an indicator or might suggest some differences or some of this divergence in, in performance maybe can cause some differences in body weight. Something too that I'll mention, so I, I mentioned a little bit ago that the second cycle of the dams, so heifers that didn't get pregnant the first time around got bred the second time around, they were used on a different study. And what we found, and, and treatments were really, really similar with those animals, what we found, and we evaluated these calves at birth in this other study, and what we found is that calves from supplemented dams actually had enhanced mitochondrial efficiency in the small intestine compared to those born to non-supplemented dams. So, you know, maybe this is an indicator of performance differences that we see later in life. Uh, maybe it's not. At the end of the day, there's still some questions that we need to have answered. And, and we're working with some tissues now and getting some samples closer to explaining why we saw these differences that we did. But yeah, that's a work in progress. But some really, really cool information with calf performance and, and productivity in, in the postnatal life for those calves. So tell us some more about the other work that you did tracking the performance of these heifers as they went after weaning and then into the next phase of breeding, just other work that you did looking at how mineral supplementation may have impacted them. Sure. So we did a little bit of work. Again, these heifers were managed at the Beef Cattle Research Complex in Fargo. And 
this barn has a really nice Incentec feed system. And what that system does is it cattle have a radio frequency identification tag. And each time that animal goes up to eat in the feeder, that RFID scans uh, and records a lot of information for us so we can see what these animals are doing from a feed intake standpoint and from a behavior standpoint as well. Uh, and so found some kind of interesting things in terms of animal behavior when it came to that post weaning to breeding time point, these heifers at the bunk. And so there's some discussion that needs to happen with this data yet in terms of, okay, is behavior actually programmed or is this a cause of, okay, bigger heifers just eat a little bit differently. But what we found is that heifers that were born to supplemented dams visited the feeder less often they also spent a little bit more time eating at every single visit and they consumed more feed each time they visited the feeder. So kind of kind of weird things happening here in terms of in terms of how these heifers behave at the bunk and some things that we have yet to answer with that. But yeah, that's that's a little bit more of of what that performance evaluation looked like from weaning to breeding of that F1 heifer. So again, big picture, thinking about this from a production level standpoint, which I know you can relate to as you think about your parents' own operation is we look at the data and say, wow, 40 more pounds almost of weaning weight. That sounds like I should be providing a, a mineral supplementation during, <laughs> during gestation. But before you and I got on, we talked about we have to think about cost versus you know productivity and what do you get? So I guess just share your thoughts there in terms of as you looked at this economically, Right. And again, I know there's some long-term effects that you're still measuring, but how did that sort itself out? Right. So yeah, it's that's an important conversation and one that absolutely needs to be had because this data can re look really, really good on paper and can be really interesting on paper. But what it comes down to is, does it work for your ranch? And mineral isn't cheap. Mineral can be quite expensive. If you're looking for a really, really good, high-quality supplement, it can be over $1,000 a ton. And in, in today's world, that's that's common to see a $1,600 a ton loose mineral. And so, yeah, those are definitely some economics that need to work out. Does that cost of the added gain work? The cost of the mineral itself? cattle prices, all of these things need to be discussed. Mineral prices shot up after COVID. We're still dealing with it. Mineral used to be a little bit more reasonable, but it's not. And that's just the world we live in. So does that mineral fed at four ounces per head per day at $1,600 a ton, does that 40 pound gain at the time of sale make up for it? Today, that math doesn't work out. Maybe in, in other years, that math might have worked. But for right now, it doesn't necessarily work out. And so there's a lot of things that need to be considered. And maybe as a producer, you know the value of mineral in your herd. And that cost, uh, you know, is just something that you that you bite every year because you understand the value that it has for your herd. For some people, though, that just might not happen. That, that cost just doesn't work itself out. And the checkbook hurts a little bit from that one. So that it just might not be something that you can do. But at the end of the day, I think it's really important to know what's actually going into your cattle. And we need to start by testing some feed. We need to see what our forages are actually containing in terms of uh, mineral analysis, probably trace minerals and the macro minerals as well, calcium, phosphorus, et cetera. Essentially, we need to determine the mineral content of our pasture, harvested forages, maybe some feedstuffs that you're providing in a ration or as a sole ingredient to your herd. I'd say that's probably the first step. And if we need supplemental minerals, we can work out some costs, determine if we're really going to benefit from this supplementation. 
uh, or identify some consequences that we might have if we don't. But essentially, know what's going into your cattle. Consider a mineral supplement if your forages are deficient. As you said, we've got a lot of things that we need to figure out yet. We have to determine how many generations of the cow herd are actually affected by providing mineral supplements during pregnancy. Is this a short-term thing or is it a long-term deal? Based on this study, these effects are sustained a little bit longer, potentially across generations, but we need to get to some answers there. And hopefully we'll have some of those answers in the next couple of months while we get some uh, get through some more data and some analysis. Well, Jen, I really appreciate your time today. I, I really find this research to be quite interesting. And, and I also just appreciate the applied practical approach you've brought to this in terms of thinking about the different aspects. And you know, one of the things that you mentioned is a lot of what you learned probably raises more questions than it does answers. Absolutely. <laughs> <So> that's, <laughs> that's the great thing about research, right? Is you get yep. to go, go probe at it some more. But I I really found this research and also some of the fetal programming research that's been done before to be really intriguing because I think there have been some perception in the past that especially early on in gestation, you know, we're thinking about that first 12 weeks. Uh, how much is really being impacted on that that developing fetus? And uh, I think the data says there, yes, there is an impact. What Absolutely. what the long-term impacts of that impact are, are a little hard to measure at times or mm-hmm. discern, but yes, there is things that are going on. And so uh, again, just appreciate your research. Thanks for the, the work you and the team there are doing. And uh, in terms of helping us thinking about how do we apply this at a production level, got to ask the questions first before you can come up with the answers. Absolutely. That's correct. Well, Jen, I wish you well on the rest of your PhD work. And uh, again, as I understand, you're continuing this. So we'll look forward to maybe having a conversation in the future. That would be great. Thanks again for having me, Aaron. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it is well. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the North Dakota Livestock Research Report. In that report, there are a number of papers related to this topic and the research that was done there by Jen Horbert and the team at North Dakota State University.